Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Football Outsiders Fantasy Show, coming to you at 1 p.m. on Tuesdays live on Twitch, twitch.tv slash fboutsiders, and also available on the Football Outsiders Podcast Network on the podcast app of your choosing. I'm your host, Scott Spratt. Uh, the, the Football Outsiders Almanac just came out. We've got a lot of Kubiak things to talk about. And so I wanted to bring in a guest today that can help us sort through preseason projection and rankings topics. Got my man Danny Kelly coming from the ringer. Danny, how are you? Possibly nerding out in a basement, but I'm gonna I'm gonna call it a man cave. Hopefully, uh, how, how's it going, man? Yeah, I don't. I know you're referring to my wooden paneled walls here. They're very very classy. Mm-hmm. Uh, technically, I'm not in a basement. This is a second floor room, okay. so I'm gonna just go with that. But it is kind of my man cave, my my quote office or whatever. Uh, yeah, the, but yeah, the, the doing doing well is what it sounds like. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I live in a hundred year old house, so cool. Actually, same. <laughs> I'll have our white walls to show for it, but it's true. (laughs) Maybe someday for me. So basically looking through the projections, I do produce them, but every year I look at them and I find surprises because, you know, I, I try to let the system be as automated as possible. And so things pop up and I'm like, huh. And so I kind of have a hodgepodge of, you know, topics for people to talk about during their fantasy drafts, just looking at teams who had surprising findings and stuff. And Hopefully, Danny, you can help us out with that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We got seven of them. And so, you know, that's a lot to cram in an hour. So I guess we should get started. And I want to start with quarterbacks with a question of, should you draft a top eight quarterback? Or do you think it makes more sense to wait until your last pick in a 10 or 12 team league? Now, Danny, you guys have your, you know, your, your ranking set coming out on the ringer, I think this mm-hmm. week, which you can give some more details about. But I don't know if you're quite on the same page, but it seems like we have a deeper tier of top quarterbacks this year than we've had in a lot of years. Yeah. yeah. In some order, you know, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Dak Prescott coming back from injury, Justin Herbert, I think emerging as a year two guy, Kyler Murray, Aaron Rodgers, Lamar Jackson, and Russell Wilson. Seems like a lot of depth. Like, do you think that those guys are just kind of like clearly ahead of the rest of the pack or, you know, is there other options there for you? So I'm kind of on, I'm on board with, I guess like the the old way to do it and the, the way that I subscribed to for a long time was like the late round quarterback, just take mm-hmm. a guy late in the draft and you should be fine. You're not losing that much value. And and, and if anything, the opportunity cost of taking a quarterback early was just going to hurt you. Now I've become sort of, I guess, mid round quarterback type yeah. person. Like I, I don't necessarily um, in the drafts I've been doing, I'm not necessarily reaching for like a Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen with the top two or three guys, but yeah. I kind of see, like a tier there where you can include Kyler Murray, Lamar Jackson, you know, obviously their rushing ability makes them, um, you know, so dangerous. And then I think both Murray and Jackson have like overall QB one potential this year. So I think there's like a kind of like basically what you're saying, there's a, a solid tier there where I don't necessarily want to take the first quarterback. I don't want to start the run on quarterbacks, but if the run starts, I'm kind of willing to take a guy like Kyler or Lamar, um, you know, maybe even, Rogers or Wilson or whatever, just because I think they're going to be so efficient. Um, but I'm willing to take them a little earlier than normal. I think it just because I think the edge these guys give you, especially in one quarterback leagues um, yeah. where, you know, there's just such a clear differentiation between the quote mobile guys and the the typical pocket passers, I guess you'd say. And I'd probably even add in, I'm, I might be more bullish on guys like Jalen hurts or Ryan Tannehill. I might put them in that tier also. Um, just because I think Jalen Hurts is going to run so much that he's going to be valuable. And, you know, Tannehill has just been so efficient over the last few years. I don't know if that's necessarily going to, I don't know if he'll drop off really steeply from that. So um, 
long story short, yeah, I would say that I'm, I'm more willing now to take a quarterback earlier than I have been in the past few years. I think it just gives you an advantage that teams with those elite quarterbacks are having an edge now. Yeah. So in our projections, we have a 38 fantasy point gap between our number one quarterback Mahomes and our number eight quarterback, Russell Wilson. And then there's a little bit of a gap. So I guess we've kind of mm-hmm. entered the tier talk of this, this yeah. thing. And then for, at least for me, it seems like there's a pretty big next group of, of quarterback two types that is, is much bigger in most years. And like you said, you may have preferences for your Tannehills or Hertz or whatever, but in my mind, you also have guys like Brady, Joe Burrow, Matthew Stafford, maybe getting the upgrade with the Rams. Yeah. Even Derek Carr, Matt Ryan, Kirk Cousins, like these boring guys that, you know, still put up more than 4,000 yards and even in a 16 game season. <laughs> yeah. And so we have a group of, you know, quarterback nine to 23 in our projections. That's only a 50 point gap. So you would hypothetically only lose about 3.5 points per ranking spot there. So, yeah, I, I think I get to the point where, like, if I'm not going to grab one of those top eight guys, I think I'm going to wait. Yeah. Because even if I do have preferences among the next set, it just seems so easy to pick up a guy off the waiver wire if I make the wrong pick. Right. And that's before you even get into the question of, you know, all of these rookie quarterbacks can run. Not, you I mean, not just fields, but like Lance, Trevor Lawrence ran a lot totally. in college eight rushing touchdowns in 10 games last year. Zach Wilson had a bunch of uh, rushing touchdowns last year. Uh, so I just feel like by midway through the year, those guys may be viable options too. And it just, you know, in a way that makes the top guys more valuable because they have a bit of a separation that you're not getting otherwise. Mm-hmm. But it also means that you're really not under pressure to pick the right 10th quarterback in your drafts. You know what I mean? Yeah. Maybe the, sh- maybe the sharpest move here is to still stick with the late round quarterback. Go with a guy mm-hmm. like, Maybe go with a high upside guy. Like, I don't know. Honestly, Daniel Jones kind of stands out to me because he was so bad last year. He's completely fallen off in ADP. People are not on him this this year as much, I'd say. Um, But he's the type of guy, or maybe like him and Trevor Lawrence, for instance. Those two guys have, um, you know, good athleticism, good ability to rush. I think the way that they'll scramble, I think, adds a little bit of value. But especially for Daniel Jones, like they added weapons around him. It seems like they're very focused on getting that offense um, to be more efficient this year. They, they drafted Kadarius, Tony brought in Kenny Galladay. Um, you know, Daniel Jones has not really had a good outside receiver like Galladay on the team. And that could really change things for him. So, um, looking at last year's numbers, it's, it's scary to take Daniel Jones as your first player, but the key here is, but grab Justin Fields, yeah, grab Justin Fields or grab Trey Lance later in the draft if i don't know how much later they're going these days but I, mean, I know that some people are kind of starting to you know wise up to this but uh grab one of those two guys to like pair with the quarterback who's for sure starting in week one and then you can wait out the the first few weeks however long it takes for lance and Daniel, uh, lance and justin fields to start and then you've got real you know dual threat quarterbacks that i think have like you know we saw what uh, jalen hurst did last year when in the short amount of time that he was starting like he was a qb1 i think in all three of his full games that he played. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that might be actually the sharper move is to, you know, go with the fields uh, Lance or maybe even Zach Wilson, and then just like stream the first few weeks and, and see how I, it goes. I, I love the stream quarterbacks. Like I would do it all yeah. season with this kind of this many options. Cause I just think it's so much easier to stream quarterbacks based on opponent where you like, you don't mm. have to get into the nitty gritty of, Oh, do they have a really good, like number one cornerback and he's going right, to match up with right. my guy. Like, None of that matters. Just find the the teams that give up a lot of fantasy points to quarterbacks, and then you can kind of work with that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think you have a lot of options there. There may be fewer options of running back. And so let's pivot to the next question here, which is how many of the top 22 PPR running backs do you need to draft in your typical league? 
Yeah. Here's another situation where I'm not sure if you're going to agree with what we have at Kubiak, but to me, there are 22 running backs that stand out to me, both as being high in our projection set and also, in my mind, being safe versus other players in their backfield. Mm-hmm. So in some order, we have Dalvin Cook, Christian McCaffrey, Alvin Kamara, Derek Henry, Ezekiel Elliott, Austin Eckler, Joe Mixon, Jonathan Taylor, Aaron Jones, Cam Akers, Saquon Barkley, DeAndre Swift, Nick Chubb, J.K. Dobbins, Mike Davis. This is absolutely fascinating Twitch streaming, by the way. Josh Jacobs, Chris Carson, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, Najee Harris, the rookie, Miles Sanders, Antonio Gibson, and David Montgomery. Mm -hmm. So there's my list of the 22 guys. We have them. I wouldn't call them bunch necessarily because, I mean, we have a we have Cook and McCaffrey kind of significantly ahead of a lot of those guys. But just in terms of the PPR points, we have it falling off pretty sharply after Montgomery where you lose like 41 points from, you know, the just a handful of picks after that, whatever the case may be. Like, do you sort of see it that way, Danny? Like, is there that huge top tier or t- couple of tiers? And then, like, do you have to get those guys? Yeah, I pretty much, I'm almost, it's funny, I'm almost exactly on, on like, in lockstep with you there, except for I don't have Mike Davis as high. So I've got 21 okay. guys, and then quite a big drop off. And then it goes to Gaskin and Davis. Sorry, sorry Davis and then Gaskin for me. Yeah. Um, but I can definitely see, you know, why we would put Davis in that group. He's probably going to get the majority of the volume. I'd say the same with Gaskin. He's probably going to get, but I'd say there's just a little more uncertainty, you know, that he's the clear cut starter, like going to get the mass, like amount of volume there. So, mm-hmm. but I, I think ultimately he's probably going to be the guy. So um, maybe you can, I would move him up into that tier and I wouldn't feel too terrible about it, but yeah, I, I would agree that like, that is the group there. Um, it's pretty much in line with my ranks. And then I think that, um, in terms of should you take two of those guys, I kind of like, I don't have any rigid sort of like mm-hmm. rules that I go through when I'm drafting. It's kind of like what, you know, how the draft goes, but I would say take at least one. And then there are a few guys later in the draft. And then I would probably wait a while. Um, but there are a few guys later in the draft who I think have, um, you know, the value to be a RB2 and, and and like do the job for you. They're not going to be like necessarily super consistent or super high ceiling, um, but can give you RB2 weeks. And then you can obviously like take, yeah. you know, an elite receiver instead in that spot, like or in, in a couple rounds before that. So, um, you know, I, again, I don't have any big rule necessarily. I, I did a mock draft the other day where I took, Jonathan Taylor early. And then I basically waited really long to take my second RB and I ended up getting, um, uh, Damian Harris later in the draft, who I actually think is a, is a pretty good like sleeper type guy. Um, people are maybe a little bit too low on him just based on the fact that he's going to be the clear cut starter. That was like, um, I think Mike Rice, uh, he reported it or he was on a podcast Mm -hmm. or something the other day said, he's the surefire number one. He's going to be, um, he's the decisive RB one for that team. And he's, and, um, you know, I think that's something that we can more or less take the bank as long as he stays healthy, you know, they have a good offensive mm-hmm. line. I don't know the quarterback situation there. That's a big question mark. I think that's probably keeping people down on Harris a little bit. All right. So we crashed there, but we are back. And I think let's just <laughs> broaden this for a, a second. Cause we're going to get into the running back sleepers here. Mm-hmm. And Danny, like Damian Harris, the guy you were just talking about, he's the one that we both have as our guys kind of outside the top. I don't know, 32. So beyond even right. the the top 22 guys that I mentioned, I think you're getting at the point where like these guys, 
these are the ones that can maybe really be sleepers for you. Mm -hmm. The reason that I like Harris, so like he's the number one football outsiders prospect. This is something we do in the football outsiders almanac where you look for players that are drafted, you know, round three or later Mm -hmm. and uh, have, you know, don't have a ton of snaps yet in the NFL. Harris stands out in that perspective, didn't play at all as a rookie played and was very efficient last year's season, but I think fantasy players may have missed it because one, he didn't score a lot of touchdowns kind of tying into the, the Cam Newton versus Mac Jones, who was playing quarterback question that you had, um, but also didn't mm-hmm. have a lot of targets, just seven targets in 2020, but very effective with a 9.9% rushing DVOA. So like, is, is you sort of seeing the same thing where there's like kind of a running back, like an efficiency to his production that makes you think he's going to get more work going forward. Yeah. And, and I think that, you know, again, it's a good rushing team. I think they're probably going to try and run the ball out regardless of whether they have Newton or Mac Jones center center. Mm-hmm. Um, the, like you said, the target situation is, is one to watch and, and a certain concern, um, especially since they drafted, you know, Madre Stevenson, they still have James white, uh, JJ Taylor's still there. It's kind of a crowded backfield. Um, but I think that there's a world, there's a universe in which he does get more receiving work and, and that can definitely boost him as well. But I think at, you know, at the very least, he's going to be the early down guy, get plenty of carries, um, likely get, you know, uh, red zone type looks. And, you know, if their offense is, is better than I think what people are expecting it to be, then I think that's going to only help him. And so basically I think people are just unsure about the rotation they're unsure about this offense. They're unsure about the quarterback situation. So that's why he's falling so hard. But um, I mean, he's basically the last guy that is a surefire starter um, that, you know, is included in this group. So I think that's kind of the reason I, I looked at him as like um, a good R, like RB2 target. If you miss out on the, on the, you know, like you said, the top 22, top 21 guys that are yeah, um, going in draft. So I think that to me, like separates him from the rest of the group. Okay, then from there, I think we both have two other possible sleepers that we don't necessarily agree with. There's actually one that I kind of am going head to head against you here, but who is sort of your second of these sleeper types? Yeah, this was funny. So I got Zach Moss as one. Um, And I think I'm not nearly as confident about this one. It's just kind of like taking taking a stab at a guy who could have a bigger role than I think people are projecting and have have, – you know, the ability to score more points. Basically the problem with Buffalo is they're a very, very pass heavy team. Uh, and Josh Allen steals the majority of the red zone carries or not red zone yeah. carries inside the five yard line carries. Mm-hmm. Like he's, he's always been sort of that guy that they, whether they're running, you know, just like power plays or read options or whatever, he is essentially a goal line back. And that definitely you know, hurts the bottom line for a guy like Zach Moss. However, if you look at kind of like how they were utilized during the, their stretch run of the season. It felt like the bills were trying to go a little bit more to Zach Moss. Um, he profiles more, I think as a, um, you know, like grinding type type running back. He's bigger. He, he's more physical. He's very elusive. He is. He, he, even though he didn't really flash much, I say, I'd say as a rookie, um, his tackles and broken tackles rate and everything were pretty strong. He was very elusive. Um, obviously you could say the same thing about Devin Singletary, but I think just like the size, yeah, the size (laughs) thing, the the size profile, uh, the early down work. And I think especially the goal line work, Mm -hmm. which is where he was, he was the clear favorite down inside the goal line or down by the goal line inside the five yard line. He was the guy there other than, than um, Josh Allen. So I think that was why I was kind of leaning that way. It's basically banking on the idea. And and all of these guys, you're kind of taking a flyer. It's banking on the idea that at some point, 
the Bills will kind of pull back and not really want Josh Allen to carry the ball quite as much down in that yeah. area. Maybe they want him to avoid hits that he doesn't really need to take. Maybe they, they'd just be like, hey, look, we're going to give it to Zach. You know, he's built for this. We don't want to get you hurt. Um, so that's kind of what I'm banking on if I'm taking Zach Moss late in, in the draft because I don't think he's going to get huge volume. But I do think he could end up being sort of like the goal line guy. You know, he's a touchdown yeah. or bust flex type guy, essentially, is what I'm going for. So, And I'm a big Devin Singletary fan who's mm-hmm. way down 42nd in ADP. And I can't make any kind of touchdown argument here. You're right. <laughs> like Moss is going to get those if it's not Allen. I think you're hoping that Singletary gets maybe five touchdowns in the year. Yeah. Like he doesn't even have breakaway speed to like Jamal Charles you into a handful of these guys. So, I mean, the reason that I like him is he's just so shifty. Yeah. He had a 23.7% broken tackle rate in 2020. That's fourth of qualified running backs, hundred plus touches. Moss was good. 18.3%, but Singletary has been kind of a league leader in that respect, both seasons. And so I think that like there's upside here, maybe more from even a, a catches perspective mm-hmm. to getting him the ball in space and kind of working that way where you're like, it's not going to be the perfect running back. I'm not even sure you're going to get a running back two out of it, but I do think that Singletary is sort of the better real life player than Moss. And I'm, I'm looking for that to be a differentiator going forward. Also in the best shape of his life, you know, you love to, to hear that Danny <laughs> Kelly, absolutely yeah, yeah. working it out this off season. Uh, he looks explosive, right? Like, yeah, <laughs> they've already been talking about how he's looking really good. Um, I, honestly, at the end of the day, the the Bills' backfield is tough. It's it's yeah. really tough because it's not like a fertile ground for back for running backs. It's like this is a, like, like I said, a pass heavy team. Um, you know, they spread the spread the field out. They're they're not going to have, um, you know, they're not going to like pass to their running backs very often because Josh Allen is a scrambler all that stuff is working against this, this run team and the run game and the running back. So um, yeah, there's a reason these guys are going so far down the list, but um, I can, I can definitely see arguments for both of these guys, you know, as kind of like sleepers that might get you a touchdown here and there. Yeah. All right. Who's your third running back sleeper. All right. So then the third guy I like and AJ Dillon to me, you know, I, I don't know if it's just because people are still take locked into the, the draft like he was overdrafted idea or something like that. You know, he's a guy that um, was a surprising second round pick by the Packers uh, last year. And I think, you know, for whatever reason, he just didn't get as much hype, even though I think he maybe should have, because he's a huge guy, six foot two forty seven. He yeah. he's like a freakish athlete. One of the top like spark athletes, like speed score type guys. He ran like a four five or something like that at 247 pounds. Like he's an elite athlete, huge, huge quads. Um, and then honestly, he was pretty good as a rookie when he got his chances. He was certainly he was. third third on the depth chart, which is a red flag for sure. But I mean, he's on a team um, where you have two established veterans and and the team is like a playoff team. So they're definitely trying to just like go with the guys that they know, you know, know their jobs and, and they trust them. Um, but, you know, he averaged 5.3 yards per carry, 46 carries. And the one game where he was the guy, he had 124 yards. Uh, and two touchdowns on 21 carries. So he looked really good. And just like from the eye test, he looks really good. He's big, smooth. Um, and then the other thing that's obviously really holding him down and, and holding him back, I think in the eyes of like the general public is this pass catching question. Sure. And he didn't catch passes in college. So I certainly understand like people are saying, but this is the evidence, like they didn't throw him the ball in college. Why would he all of a sudden become a big pass catcher in the NFL? Well, if you look at the Boston college offense, they weren't throwing the ball hardly at all, period. You know, they were a run team. Um, He was the focal point of that offense uh, and he did his job pretty well. But I think that he has the upside to be a better pass catcher than people are expecting. I saw um, 
there's been a couple like really, you know, this is like reaching probably, but there's been a couple indications based on OTAs and things that they want to get him involved as pass catcher. There was one Rob Domovsky, uh, Domovsky tweet where Jordan Love hit AJ Dillon on a wheel route 30 yards down the sideline that, that people are kind of like clinging to hope on. Uh, Zach Cruz from Packers Wire mentioned that um, the Packers like him a lot in the passing game. I think there's a chance that he, that AJ Dillon more or less replaces Jamal Williams, um, that role. People are yeah. worried that he's not going to be the pass catching type. And I'm just kind of banking on the idea that we just haven't seen it yet. And I think he has the talent and the, and the skill set to do it. I mean, he looks like he, he looks smooth to me when he catches the ball. Um, he didn't get a ton of targets last year, but I think he caught all his targets. <laughs> so, yeah. um, I don't know. I just think it's one of those things where people are kind of take locked into the idea that he can't catch passes and they're ignoring the fact that they spent a second round pick on an elite athlete who's six foot two forty seven, who's also probably by the way, going to get a lot of the goal line looks. So definitely. Um, so yeah, I think, I think yeah. last year he finished second in yards after contact per attempt with like whatever his minimum is. He's basically, go. he looks a lot like Derek Henry. And I, I do think that's right? probably what Matt LaFleur had in mind when, when he picked him up. Exactly. Um, Thanks to Coop for, for subscribing here. And he wants to know what your thoughts are on Michael Carter, Danny, which yeah. I'll bring up because I think Tevin Coleman is a good ADP value going way late 53rd in ADP. But like my mind is that Carter is probably the player you want in this backfield. If you can just kind of choose yeah. one, do, do you see him that way too? Yeah. So he was the other guy that I had in mind when I was putting together yeah. my list here. And I think that, um, there's just a lot of uncertainty and a lot of um, unknowns with this Jets offense. Like, is it even going to be competent? What's Zach Wilson going to look like? Who are going to be the receivers? All that stuff. Like, there's just so many question marks. Um, and I, I, I remember seeing a note. I think it was from the Athletic. It was basically like the the first team offense for the Jets during OTAs was like all new guys. Yeah. You know, it's like Corey Davis, uh, Elijah Moore, Keenan. Keenan Cole or Keelan Cole, Keelan sorry. Cole, yeah. And then uh, Zach Wilson and all the running backs are like new. So it's just one of those things where we have like no real clue who it's going to be. I think that at the end of the day, Michael Carter is probably the most talented. He has the most juice. He's not like an elite speed guy, but um, I do think he has very good quickness and agility and tackle breaking ability. And he's a good pass catcher. So like, if you're going to take a guy in this area, even though it's, there's a lot of unknowns, he's certainly worth the flyer to me. Because again, this is, and people are losing sight of this too. I think like this is a Shanahan style offense where they're, I think pretty clearly going to want to run the ball, especially with yep. a rookie quarterback. So um, yeah, I think, uh, you know, I think this is a good, a good option, a good, a good spot to take the guy. And, and actually I'm getting a whole bunch of texts because this is a question from my friend. Okay, <laughs> perfect. So yeah. Hi, Evan. Glad he's watching. Um, like I have a kind of a broad thought about rookie running backs, which is that like, I think teams, are catching up to sort of the analytical community that running backs maybe aren't as valuable as we thought they were 10 years ago, but fantasy players are getting tricked here. They're seeing a fourth round label on this guy. They're seeing, you know, sixth and seventh round great uh, labels on other guys. I think fourth round running backs are like 2014 second round running backs. <laughs> seventh is kind of like up to fourth or fifth now. So like even guys like Jamar Jefferson, I wouldn't be super scared of a seventh round you know, draft selection. I think he could still mm. make an impact. So yeah, that's yeah. kind of my broad thoughts there, but we should probably hop off and move to the next question here uh, to get through all of these. And one of my favorite places to look for, you know, potential value in, in drafts is the year two wide receivers guys that I think can really bump. Uh, so I guess my question for you, Danny is which of the main year two receivers do you really like relative to their ADP 
like we got some guys that are pretty high, like the Justin Jeffersons and CD lambs, but yeah. Yeah. Um, like to me, not that you shouldn't take those guys, but I think there's some other guys maybe a little bit later in ADP that provide really good value. Yeah. So three guys I had circled for this like topic were uh, Chase Claypool. Mm-hmm. I'll start with Claypool just because yeah. I think that he has a chance to, um, you know, really be one of the big breakout guys this year, have a big second year jump. Like the second year jump from receivers is a real thing. Yes. Um, there's been studies done on it. It's, it's one of those things where, um, you know, it can kind of come out of nowhere and surprise some people, but like we saw it from DK Metcalf from year one to two, I mean, obviously he had a good solid rookie year, but then he became a superstar in year two. Um, I think AJ Brown kind of same kind of deal. So Claypool to me fits that profile as like the alpha receiver. He's big physical, elite 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 athleticism you know what i mean and so um this is the kind of guy who i think profiles is a big time breakout everything we saw from him as a rookie was like this guy's really good um but the question is you know how do the steelers see him how are the steelers going to rotate at at receiver and it's big ben just completely washed at this point um We'll dig in on that specifically later for sure (laughs) yeah so i i kind of lean like big ben's not going to be washed so much to the point that that Claypool is going to be irrelevant. Plus they used him around the goal line. I think he's, yeah. he had like several goal line carries like on sweeps and things like that. So I think they love his, his, um, his skill set, And I think he has the talent and the ability to be a breakout guy. So to me, he, he looks like a clear cut, um, you know, potential blow up type second year player to me, just the way um, I think he'd be much more, like his, his ADP would be so much higher if his, and this, I'm not the first person to say this, but like if his, mm. his, his season had been flip-flop where he was like quiet in the first half of the year and yeah. then came on strong in the second half of the year, he'd be like, you know, it's like the, the, um, the, uh, shoot, uh, I'm, I'm forgetting the Colts running back name for some reason. It's like the most Jonathan general. Taylor, yeah, or Jonathan, Taylor. Or, yeah, yeah, Jonathan yeah. Taylor is just like the most generic name, but, um, Jonathan Taylor, like effect essentially where he was quiet in the first half of the year. And then, yeah, yeah. The and then he blew yeah. up in the second half of the year. And all of a sudden he's like the number one overall dynasty pick and kind of deal. I think if Chase Claypool had done his season in reverse, instead of basically tapering off at the end of the season, um, cause he started super strong. Um, then we'd be, then it'd be like a totally different effect. So, um, anyways, at the end of the day, I just like, like Claypool's, you know, size, athleticism, skill set, his ability to play inside and outside. Um, I think he has a chance to be a big time breakout, even though there's a lot of guys in that offense and it's just kind of hard to like work that out. Yeah. No, and you're reading my mind. Claypool is my number one value relative to ADP as well. And it's a lot of the same points that you mentioned. One, the Metcalf comparison, I think is really on point. They had extremely similar numbers in their first year. Metcalf, 58 catches, 900 yards, seven touchdowns. Claypool 62, 873, and nine. Mm. And I think kind of touching on what you were saying about, you know, the first half, second half thing, people may be scared by the fact that Claypool scored most of his touchdowns in like a few handful of games earlier in the year. That doesn't worry me though, because like based on where he was getting his targets, this is kind of a theory of opportunity adjusted touchdowns, Mike Clay's research. Mm. Claypool actually had very similar actual touchdown numbers and expected touchdown numbers based on where he was getting the ball. Oh, so in my mind, yeah. if there's anybody in that offense that's probably stepping back, it's Juju Smith-Schuster, who mm. had a big surplus of touchdowns over what you would expect based on where his targets were. So if I'm scared of anybody, it's him, although he's a little bit lower in ADP too. So right. frankly, I'm not scared of a lot of these guys because I'm higher on the Steelers, but we'll get to that in a little Interesting. bit. Interesting. Okay. First, we should probably pick up with some more of these sleeper year two guys. I'll throw out a couple guys casually here, Michael Pittman and Henry Ruggs. 
Mm. I think I like them more because they're later in ADP, 44th and 49th respectively. Yeah. Um, like our actual rankings for them aren't better than ADP, but I think these are both guys who have higher ceilings uh, because, you know, they had what fewer than 50 catches in their, in their first years. So we're expecting them to bump up a little bit higher uh, workload wise in their second year. Yeah. To me, just those lower, those lower rookie year numbers, those just don't scare me. I mean, we've seen tons of guys, DeAndre Hopkins being a prime example in my mind that had huge year two to year, uh, year one to two target jumps. Uh, so I'm not reading into that. Yeah. Even though there are some guys like Jefferson who were having historically great rookie seasons these days. Right. That's the, that's the outlier, not the norm. Agreed. Um, so yeah, I think both of these guys are, I'm talking myself into rugs, but first, first starting out with Pittman. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think if anything, it's sort of just like someone has to catch passes in this offense. <laughs> like that's, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I yeah. think that they're high on him. I, you know, they, they picked him in the second round. Um, he showed some flashes certainly in the second half of the season, I think. And, and especially in his ability to run after the catch, um, there's been some talk and I think this is actually very fascinating. I don't know how it's going to all pan out, but the idea that Paris Campbell doesn't really mesh well with the style that Carson Wentz plays with, like the um, slant and get him on a crosser, like hit him on a crosser or hit him on a slant and let him pick up yards at the catch. Like that's just not been Wentz's game. I was going to say, is his game to like throw jump balls in the end zone? I, I was Pretty much. curious what his game was. Yeah. I think like he's more, I think at Wentz generally like very generically is push the ball downfield, push it into tight coverage. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that kind of thing. And I think that definitely fits Michael Pittman's style, his, his profile more. And so like, if you're picking between who's the breakout going to be, whether it's Michael uh, Pittman or, or Paris Campbell, it seems like Pittman has the edge. Yeah. Um, and certainly the other thing is like Paris Campbell can't stay healthy. So yeah. um, I do Sad like, I do like the Pittman thing. I, I'm still very intrigued with Campbell, but I just don't know for sure how that's all going to work out. Um, the Henry Ruggs thing, I think is very interesting because um he was drafted, I guess, ostensibly because he's very fast. Right. And like, yes. they wanted that game changing speed. They want like, they're in the same division as the chiefs. Like they've seen what the speed on the chiefs can do to a, to a defense. Um, but then they took him out of uh, Alabama where Alabama had used him. I think I saw like 22% of his routes were screens at Alabama. And he was very good yards after the catch guy um, creating it on those shorter uh, and intermediate passes and creating after catch and all that stuff. And then they immediately turn him into like a deep threat only as a rookie. Maybe this is a situation where they just want to get it, get his, let him get his feet wet and kind of learn. I mean, we saw the Seahawks did a similar thing with DK Metcalf for basically his rookie year. He ran like one or two routes on from the left side of the field and that was it. And, you know, and so um, maybe there was just a little bit of that, but rugs 10.2 percent target rate which was really really bad i mean like there was 14 rookie receivers that i counted that had a higher target rate than him he's the first he's the first running back or first receiver taken he was like a top 11 pick or what was he the 11th pick um and so like to me that is just outrageous and i think that and i saw actually vic defer from the athletic is saying it's like gruden hears the criticism he knows people are talking about how they blew this pick or you know they blew it um and so i think he wants he's going to make a want he's going to want to make a point this year to make rugs a focal point of the offense i think maybe this is reaching and maybe we're relying too much on on john gruden who has been (laughs) famously sort of capricious and um fickle about who he like incorporates in his offense but i think at the end of the day Ruggs is target. It's, I think it's safe to say Ruggs' target rate is going to explode this year. What he does with it yeah. is another question, right. but I think basically I'm buying what I'm buying is 
the idea that he's going to be much more heavily involved in this offense, just because if, if anything to save face. So we'll see. Um, I think he's good. I honestly don't think he's like a bad player. Uh, I just think they yeah. used it very incorrectly last year. I think they need to get him involved in screens, stuff around the uh, the line of scrimmage where he can run after the catch, like use his speed more than just like a deep stretch type guy. Yeah. And you know, it's, I think that that's probably the best point. Like, it's not like he's just going to take Nelson Aguilar's 48 catches and is just going to be the only extreme <laughs> deep guy, but like right. there's still are vacated catches that somebody's going to, going to probably pick up on the team. So like, yep, to me, yep. this is, this is kind of a more normal progression for a rookie than what we've had with some of the highlight cases recently. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, and the other thing is he had, he had two end zone targets and he caught zero of them. <laughs> So like, just, I don't know, there, there was just a lot of really poor usage things that happened. I think we see a different, uh, a different story this year and hopefully he can capitalize on that. Yeah. Is there anybody else that you think is a good year two wide receiver sleeper? Yeah. So I think Judy, I don't know if Judy is necessarily a sleeper. I don't know if you count him as a sleeper, but he's definitely he's 38th I, and ADP. I think that's, that's pretty down there. Yeah. So I think people are pretty down and I tweeted this last night. Basically people are really down on him based on what he did as a rookie year. But again, like I think exactly what you're saying is the norm is not Justin Jefferson where you come in and like have 1400 yards receiving as a rookie and like one of the greatest receiving like yes. rookie seasons ever. Like the norm should be 809 or like that 800, 900 yards is like pretty good for a rookie receiver. Right. Yeah. And the point I was trying to make with this tweet was basically, and, and you mentioned Claypool and DK, their, their seasons were probably even more similar, but I think Jerry Judy and DK Metcalf's rookie years are pretty similar. If you look at some of the stats, like Judy had 52 catches, 856 yards, three touchdowns. Uh, DK had 58 catches, 900 yards, seven touchdowns, almost identical yards per reception. Uh, Judy had 12 drops. DK Metcalf had eight drops. Yeah. They had, they had the identical amount of first downs, 39 first downs each. Their eight out was almost identical. Target rate was almost identical, 19.3 and 19.4. Um, Metcalf had more touchdowns, so he scored more fantasy points. But touchdowns, as we know, are sort of like random. And and the other thing that's weird is D, uh, Judy was not really used in the red zone. He got, I don't have it in front of me, but I think he had only like a few red zone or end zone targets, and he only caught, he caught zero of them. Yeah. Uh, sorry, he had seven end zone targets, which was 42nd in the NFL, caught zero. So, I don't know. I think Judy has the opportunity to be a lot better. And I mean, again, also the other thing to pay attention to here is like Judy's quarterback situation was Oof. terrible. Well, I and, was going to ask you, is this yeah. an Aaron Rodgers opinion or is this a Jerry <laughs> Judy opinion? Oh my God. If Aaron Rodgers gets traded to the Broncos, <laughs> it's wheels up for Judy in my mind. And for really all the, all the receivers in that group, I still think Judy has a chance to, so I guess like number one, people are very worried about, the amount of talent in the Broncos pass catching core, which I think is fair. Um, but at the end of the day, like second year breakouts happen because guys are that talented. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think Judy has the talent and the route running ability. And he showed it, honestly, he was getting open all the time. Um, but he has the talent to, to basically emerge as the guy in this offense. We'll see if that happens. I think Cortland Sutton's very good also. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, I think Judy has the opportunity and could be, a guy that shows like basically what DK Metcalf did is like, he went from being a really good rookie to an, a superstar. And I think there's, that's in the range of outcomes for Judy. I'm not saying it's necessarily going to happen or it absolutely will happen just because I don't know the quarterback situation. There's terrible, but um, you know, they, I, the Broncos had him, I think when they, when they drafted him, they said he was like the number one guy on their board or something ridiculous. So um, yeah, I think he's that good. And, and he could show it this year. So we have a question from rage Ravel. 
which I love, love the handle there. And I think this is going <laughs> to, this is going to tie in well to, I think who your other sleeper is, is LaVisca Chenault a bit of a wild card compared to other two with, you know, the new yeah. offense, Urban Meyer, in my mind, it's weird, but Jacksonville has a lot of skill talent. Like, right. Right. You know, I, I don't really know if, if Etienne's going to be actually playing receiver or whatever, but you've got guys like Marvin Jones involved too. So yeah, do you think that, that Chenault has that kind of upside with some of these other guys. Yeah, I, I do. I'm very excited about Chanel. So Chanel's off season has been funny because they, it's been like a way of you riding like a roller coaster early on in the off season. I think people were excited because he's going to be in this urban Meyer offense. He might be the slash, the, the Percy Harvin guy in the offense. And then they drafted uh, ETN. They talked about how they really wanted Kadarius Tony. Now people are off of him. Not now, but like, and then people were off of him because he's not the slash and he's not as sure. fast as these other guys. And now after an OTAs in which based, based on all the beat reports I saw, Chenault was like clearly like had made a jump and he was like the best yeah. player on the field. Um, everyone's back on the Chenault train. So I think it's, it's been an interesting, I think it's a good study in how fantasy football works. And like, it's, it's like a stock, it's like the stock market, like, yeah. you know, things come into favor, things fall out of favor, even though nothing really happens, like nothing tangible happens. <laughs> um, so I think the Chenault thing is interesting. I, I'm pretty high on him. I think coming out, I was high on him. I think his talent is there. Um, I think, you know, his injuries and some of the, the, the circumstances that he finished his career um, at Colorado, like kind of pushed him down, uh, the board a little bit and push him down in people's opinions, but like everything else about him, I think is really, really um, intriguing. His size It's kind of like the Claypool discussion, his size, yeah. athleticism, playmaking skills. People kind of pencil him in as a uh, gadget gadgety type player, but I think he has the skill skill set and talent to play downfield. I think I, you know, he maybe didn't do it a lot at Colorado, but I saw him go deep, saw him track the football, make plays, uh, you know, go up and, and, and catch the ball over guys. We saw that as a rookie. He's a very good in contested catch situations, or at least it seemed like he was. Um, I haven't checked the stats on that, but I, it, it felt like he was pretty solid there. And yeah. so, I don't know, he's got a full skill set to um, be another type of these guys that can then can really just break out. It seems like it, the light went on for him, certainly in OTAs. Um, you can't ignore the idea and, and the fact that like all the beat reporters are like, this guy looks amazing. Um, and I also think that there's enough question marks around DJ Chark to say like Chenault could legit be the number one guy in this offense, like the number one yeah. receiver. So, uh, you know, I don't think we should necessarily put in pen that DJ Chark is the number one. I think Chenault has a chance to be the guy. So I, yeah, all that said, I, I like Chenault. Yeah. It seems like there's a lot of Jaguars who have really high ceilings, but also really low floors. Yeah. But yeah. like in a shallower type of fantasy league, those are, those are better than you're like consistently definitely going to be like a running back four. like, is that, is <laughs> right, that going to help right. you? Probably not. You want, you want <laughs> right. guys that can really pop. You're not going for like fourth place. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. So next up, next question. Should you draft the top three tight end or wait until your last pick in a 10 or 12 team league? Kind of following in the quarterback and running backs discussions from earlier. Uh, this one, I feel confident you probably do agree on one way or the other, uh, where we have Travis Kelsey, Darren Waller, and George Kittle uh, as our top guys in some order. I'm, I'm not going to quibble right. with you if you have Kittle ahead, but like to me, there's a pretty significant drop off from there to you, you know, your Hawkinson's, your Noah Fans, mm -hmm. your Mark Andrews is. Um, and maybe you have some differences of, of opinions there, but like we have a pretty big gap between the two. And do you think that kind of sets up a similar situation where grab those three guys or wait? Yeah, I think, it, you know, it definitely gives you an edge to grab one of these guys. There's you're taking a risk and you're, um, you know, I think your team is going to be more of a question mark after the draft. Certainly if you wait and try and find like this next breakout guy, because, you know, history would tell us over the last few years, 
we've been pretty bad at predicting who the breakout guy is going to be and or if there is even going to be a breakout guy like tight end is a wasteland we say that every year but it's especially true now (laughs) um even the guys who quote unquote could be the next great tight end there's there's a i think an argument against all of them that to like or a a legitimate like at least argument to say that they're not going to be the guy like hawkinson he's in a terrible i know you're not talking bad about kyle pitts so well (laughs) kyle pitts kyle pitts is sort of the exception to the rule but he's also a rookie you know what i mean and so like there's that whole thing the whole uh all the caveats about rookie tight ends i'm i would say pitts maybe was in like his own tier would be like kelsey waller kittle and then pitts and then everybody else kind of deal um i i would say that hawkinson uh andrews maybe logan thomas i'm just doing off off the top of my head like these guys would be um all projected as either the number one or number two receiver in their offense and i think that gives them a big boost i think you could put goddard as a maybe put him down as a maybe we'll see what happens with jalen rager um but ultimately like in fantasy you want a guy who's going to be the first or second option in their offense at, at the tight end position i think Pitts certainly fits that role um, and he could be the greatest all-time tight end, rookie tight end of all time, and <laughs> so, it wouldn't surprise me. As so an we'll aside, see. so I was listening to the the Ringer Fantasy Football Show where you guys did the the, the take purge in <laughs> yes. Craig's take that Kyle Pitts would be fine. <laughs> it was like the simplest one, but it had me in stitches, and I think yeah, yeah. it infected me. Where I'm like, uh, Kyle Pitts, is he going to be that good? Is he going to be that good? Yeah. Um, but no, I, I I agree that he's like a viable sleeper candidate, but he's not somebody that I'm going to go out of my way to draft fourth. Like I would way rather wait a while and take a late shot on, you know, Mark Andrews, uh, somebody who kind of fell short of his touchdown expectations based on targets. Uh, I don't know. Maybe Robert Tanyan is a, is a name. You're kind of Mm -hmm. relying on Aaron Rodgers coming back to green Bay, but another guy that he overachieved on his, you know, touchdown expectations too, but everybody in that offense did. So I think that's just yeah. kind of what, yeah. that what's what happens when you have somebody as good as, as Rogers back there. But mm-hmm. are, are there any, is there anybody even lower maybe on your list here? Or are you like a particularly like an Irv Smith guy or any no, of the, the New I'm, England guys maybe, or any of that? I think that it's worth taking a flyer on the, both of the New England guys. I yeah. think that um, I'm just going down the list here. Like, all there's it's so easy to talk yourself in or out of these guys like Tyler Higby like he's shown that he can be an elite pass catching type guy in like yeah. four straight 100 yard games but then that's like very much not like the norm um, they did Gerald Everett did leave for Seattle this offseason yeah, so yeah. possible growth there I've I've finding myself liking Zach Ertz like kind of <laughs> yeah semi predicting that he ends up somewhere else hopefully Buffalo where I'm like Right now, you can get him incredibly late. So, like, I drafted him in the Scott Fish Bowl, like, super yeah. late. But like, yeah, yeah, Please go to Buffalo. But, like, maybe he and Goddard both getting away from each other will give them opportunities. I don't know. Yeah. I think there are options. So, I think the moral of the story for me is that I think I would. If I'm not getting the top three guys, I think I am going to wait. Yeah. I think I'm with you. And um, it kind of goes back to what I said. Like, it's hard to predict. So, just take a flyer on a couple guys. Like, maybe it's Adam Troutman. You expect him to get a pretty significant role in that offense. Or you know, like Hunter Henry or Evan Ingram, one of these guys that you can get much, much later um, and just kind of hope that they break out or you can just stream at the position and just yeah. basically, you know, it's an opportunity cost to take one of these second level, second tier, third tier uh, tight ends. Mm-hmm. And I'd almost rather just fill that spot on my roster with um, a good receiver or a potential um, 
you know, flex worthy running back or something like that, where, yeah. you know, these guys could come in and especially if there's an injury at the running back position, you could have much more value there. So um, yeah, I'm with you on that one. Our guy Coop shouting out Blake Jarwin as, as a potential option. Oh yeah. There too, I got, right? I so. got him and I think this guy fishbowl. So yeah. Yeah, I think he's going later because I think maybe people don't realize he's the number one tight end for the team since he missed last season. But right, right. I just, whoever I think is getting that job is going to get a, a good number of targets. So I think that's viable too. Yeah, exactly. All right, let's pivot to some of the more team-specific topics. We teased we would come back to this, but uh, Danny, is the Steelers offense about to collapse? And I, I think <laughs> yeah. I'm asking this because apparently I am like super high on the Steelers relative to ADP because... Uh, in, in Kubiak, we have Roethlisberger going four rounds ahead of ADP. Mm. We have Deontay Johnson going a round and a half ahead of ADP. Claypool going three or more rounds ahead of ADP. And maybe I just love Claypool. But even Smith-Schuster, two or so rounds ahead of ADP. So we're higher on all of these guys. And I'm guessing that makes Roethlisberger the linchpin. Right. I'll just update you that like last year, he, he threw for uh, 3,800 yards, 33 touchdowns. We're projecting 4,300 Again, this is an extra game, but we also right. account for a chance of injuries and 31 touchdowns. So maybe like a mild step down and touchdown rake. We actually have this completion percentage dropping a bit too, but whatever, not important. The point being, we're not projecting a giant fall off a cliff here. Um, but what do you think, Danny? You think that like maybe the end of the season for the Steelers was kind of uh, a window into what's going to happen? Uh Gosh, I don't know. This is a tough one because on one hand, I don't really think that Ben is washed. Yeah. I don't, I don't think, you know, I think he'll come back and he's even said it like he's coming back. He's now a year further removed from the elbow injury, the reconstruction, you know, I think maybe there's a chance his arm will be a little bit more solid this year. Um, not to be the best shape of your life type guy or whatever, but like he, it sounds like he's trying to lose weight and get in shape and blah, blah, blah. Like that's not the norm for big Ben. Like he's <laughs> what? kind of famously just like doesn't do shit during the off season and then comes in and plays. I actually um, respect that. It's like the Shaquille O'Neal. Like that's the right. best way to have a great, enjoyable football career. Right. Right. Keep it balanced. Work-life balance. Mm -hmm. um, so, I, you know, and I, and I'm high on all the uh, Steelers receivers. So I guess it's like, there's some sort of disconnect there because if you're really high on all the receivers and I think I am, I think I I'm optimistic about all three of those guys. Um, why aren't you optimistic about the quarterback? You know, because he's the one throwing the football to these guys. Obviously there's going to be volume. Like the volume thing is a big part of it. Uh, but um, yeah, I guess the question is like, number one, are they going to have as much volume this year as they did last year? Cause they passed, I think, was it the most passes in the NFL or they did highest and pass rate? Yeah, it, it's basically about the offensive line, something that that right. King, something the great uh, on the chat mentioned, and he's absolutely right. And to me, that's why I may be a little bit pessimistic about Najee Harris, even though he may be a good fit with the after contact skills. Mm -hmm. But I'm not pessimistic about the Steelers. And again, I kind of tying back to your earlier point about the like second half of the season being so much worse. I mean, it definitely was. The team scored 24 <laughs> more points every week between weeks one and 11. I think they won all of those games. And they scored less than 24 points in five of their final seven games, including the playoff loss. But like a lot of football outsiders research kind of points to the fact that the full season statistics are better predictors than any half split, even if it mm. like visually to your eyes makes sense. And it's because of things like this, the Steelers had a very imbalanced schedule last year. So in the second half of the year, they had to face the Ravens, their 10th and pass defense DVOA. Yeah. Washington second and pass defense <clears throat> DVOA Buffalo 12th. Um, they faced Cincinnati who was 27. So that's kind of a weird outlier. And he had three turnovers in that game, but like yeah. some weird stuff. There was a wide receiver fumble. There was a fumbled exchange. 
kind of honestly what happened in the, the second Cleveland game in the playoffs. But then you have the Colts too, eighth in pass defense DVOA. I think it was just kind of a quirky deal where the Steelers had an imbalanced schedule that made the team look better than it was in the first half, worse than it was in the second half. To me, on balance, I'm not really worried about it. I think the team's going to be fine. I think there's too much talent for, for Roethlisberger not to have a good year. Yeah. I pretty much, I, I, yeah, that last line is kind of exactly where I land too. Like there's just too much talent in this offense for it to be bad. And um, I think it's very interesting what you're saying, you know, just from a big picture point of view, like that full season stats are more predictive and stickier than half season or like splits or whatever. And I think that, you know, obviously the NFL is a um, small sample league in general. There's only 16 games. Now there's 17 games, but there's only 16 games in history uh, historically or whatever. And, and, um, so many different things can happen. Like it, it, you could have the same conversation really about like the Seahawks last year too. Like their first half splits versus second half splits, their offense fell apart in the second half. And a lot of people can sh- attribute that to yeah. um, Pete Carroll pulling back and taking away the re- let Russ cook thing and all that stuff, which I think is partly true, but it's also true that they played, I think four out of um, four out of the top, four of their final seven games were against top 10 defenses probably the Rams so, twice too right yeah, yeah. To, <laughs> that's no fun to face Aaron Donald like you <laughs> know that, that he's going to cause problems um and so yeah I think that there's so many little variables big variables mm-hmm. uh week to week and, and during the course of a season you see it all the time um the Seahawks really just changed their, their their strategy in some of these cases because they were playing such good defensive teams they had to yeah. and so I don't know and the other thing is and, and this doesn't get talked about like the Seahawks over the second half of the year plates, they face some really crappy quarterbacks in that stretch. And so do you need to come out like swinging haymakers or can you just kind of basically go out and do your thing and like, know that yeah. you're going to win if you don't turn the ball over. I know that people hate to hear that, but that's like Pete Carroll's whole philosophy is like, if we don't turn the ball over, we're going to win this game. <laughs> well, you know that was I mean? Roethlisberger went from basically the highest average depth of target in the league for his whole career to last year, either the lowest or the second lowest. Yeah. And it's like a weird conservative approach for a, a player that didn't kind of play that way before. But when you have such a disruptive defense and you have so much talent, especially with guys like Claypool now that can kind of work after the catch. Right. Right. It's a smart way to play. And it's even though Roethlisberger made some huge mistakes in big spots at the end of the year, I think it's actually going to be kind of a low mistake offense. That's going to be totally good. Yeah. I can see it. I can see it. I'm probably too low on Roethlisberger. Um, because I'm high, I, I would say, on all the three receivers in that group. Yeah. Well, at, at least Claypool and Deontay. I'm not, I'm not sure how I feel about Juju. I think I'm probably lower than consensus on Juju. But, yeah, um, yeah. That, that's the thing about our Kubiak. So our Kubiak projections are, are interdependent. So, like, you don't separately project quarterback, wide receiver, and running back. It, it all works together. Like, mm-hmm. how many accurate throws go to the receivers, then it bounces back to the quarterback, blah, blah, blah. Uh, you kind of discover sometimes good offenses that way. Now, when you're yeah. wrong, you can be yeah. wrong about everybody all at once. And so that's not ideal, but like, it's a good way to like check yourself. And that's actually something we're going to do with these last two questions about teams that have a lot of talent that I think makes it confusing for fantasy, but I'll yeah. shout out Coop again for, for gifting some tier one subs. Appreciate that. Uh, but Danny, <laughs> our final two questions, uh, what is the pecking order of touches in Denver? You mentioned mm-hmm. this earlier with Judy and Sutton, but like, you've also got receivers like KJ Hamler, Tim Patrick in the mix. Noah Fant, I think a very promising year three tight yeah. end. Yeah. What's the whole Melvin Gordon and rookie running back Javante Williams situation? Can you help us out? Who do what we, a mess. Who do we want in fantasy if any of these guys? That's tough. So I've stayed away from Gordon. Okay. I think ultimately Javante Williams is going to 
takeover. North Carolina alum, Javante Williams. I absolutely I mean, love it. Yeah. I think he's just good. And I don't think that this team has any real long, like I certainly don't have any long-term commitment to Gordon. They may, they may not have any short-term commitment to it. Um, I think that Javante Williams is good. They trade up for him in the second round. Like they traded yeah. up and took him very highly. And um, I agree. I think second they, round running backs. That's a first round running back from 2014. Continue. There you go. Theory from earlier. Yeah. And it's like, people forget like Jonathan Taylor, second round running back. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like John Good just Chubb. second round running up Nick Chubb. God. Yeah. So, um, I think I like that theory by the way, but like just discount one, one round just based Absolutely. on the modern NFL. Um, so anyways, at the end of the day, yeah, I think Javante Williams is going to be the guy, whether it's in week one, maybe, or say like week three, four, I think at the end of the day, he's going to end up being the guy. Um, and it's already been reported. Like you mentioned in the doc, like Ryan O'Halloran, O'Halloran mm-hmm. of the Denver post said he expects Williams to be the starter from day one. So yeah. I'm, I'm basically not drafting Melvin Gordon. Um, you definitely, if you, if you're in fantasy playoffs, like a league where you're, you need the production late in the season, you can't go with Gordon. You have to go with Williams. Yeah. yeah. And that's probably true with some of the other rookies too. Yeah. Um, the receiving pecking order, that's mm-hmm. tough. I think if I had to, I would guess Judy Sutton Fant in the terms best. of like target share. And I would say Judy Sutton Fant. So much is dependent on who plays quarterback though, because I feel like the, the quarterback, is going to have a strong effect on the style of football they play. Like that's true. Drew Locke, you're going to have a lot higher a dot. You're going to have a lot more downfield push, pushing the ball downfield. That's going to benefit. I think Sutton more. So maybe Sutton ends up leading the team in targets. Uh, If Bridgewater is the starter, I think that it'll be more heavily geared towards like the short and intermediate area. Maybe that helps Judy because he's such a good route runner. It's kind of like the Deontay Johnson effect. Like if, if you can get open early, Bridgewater is going to find you. Um, so, and that this is also assuming like Judy is playing maybe in the slot more and they have like Tim Patrick and Sutton playing outside. There's so many question marks, so many moving parts uh, with the Denver offense. Yeah. It's very tough to predict, I think, but I, I, I'm going to go with, yeah, Judy Sutton and then Fant um, in terms of target share. And I think Hamler and Patrick will probably rotate in, in depending on like situations and things like that. Yeah, I think I kind of wanted to warn fantasy players that like Hamler looks unique since he's five foot nine and 178 pounds. Like he's the clear like twitch slot player that the team has. But like I wouldn't like I wouldn't over invest here because I think some of these other guys can maybe work from the slot, even if they're not the traditional Wes Welker style twitchy slot guy. So I would be a little bit careful there, especially since Tim Patrick actually led this group of receivers in DVOA last season. He's actually, really good. He's good. Like he's it's super weird. good. Yeah. And so like, it, I'm not going to quibble if you're going to want to take shots on Judy and Sutton. I think these guys have really good upside. Um, but I think that Noah Fant is weirdly maybe the safest. Cause I just don't think that they're replicating him and any of their other players on the offense. Right. So maybe contradicting myself earlier about waiting on tight end, but if like Fant is still there as kind of a late, tight end one option for you in your drafts. Maybe that's the guy that I, I would want to go with. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. The only yeah. thing that worries me a little bit about fan is he's not going to be likely the number one or number two option in this offense. That's true. And so it kind of goes he against my rule. Year. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, but he's probably the most talented of the group. So uh, the second tier tight ends. So yeah. I don't know. Maybe avoid. Um, I think for our final question here, I'm asking the same question. What is the pecking order? But in San Francisco and here <laughs> you may actually have a little bit easier time finding guys or maybe not. I don't know. Probably not at running back. Cause I mean, they've got all of them. We yeah. got Raheem Mostert still there. They draft Trey Sermon in the third round. They draft Eli Mitchell, another speedy guy in the sixth round, which again, that's, that's a fourth round pick from a few years ago. As there mentioned. you go. 
you've got Wayne Gallman coming in. Um, I've, I've seen news articles that he's the number two running back right now. And then I've seen right. that he's like going to be cut in three weeks. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I think Jeff Wilson is probably out of the mix since uh, he got hurt. He tore a meniscus, uh, but maybe not. Uh, then you've got all the receiving options. You've got, you know, Brandon Ayuk, Debo Samuel. I have no idea who the number one is between those two. Plus George Kittle, obviously. Danny, help me out. Who's getting the touches here? So let's start with the running back group. I've got Sermon ranked a little bit higher than Mostert. I think that Mostert is going to play, but at the end of the day, and, and I mean, honestly, you could say this about Sermon too, but like, I don't think that Mostert is reliable in terms of being able to stay healthy Injuries, and have, yeah, yeah have like a, a, a full season. I think if everything else was equal and they were healthy in year one, week one, Mostert would be the guy and then Trey Sermon would get mixed in because just let him get his feet wet type deal. Yeah. Um, but I think ultimately Sermon's going to end up getting more carries because I just don't know. That, and I know, and, and I'm actually like on the same, I'm on board with like injury prone is not a thing necessarily, but I just think Mostert hasn't really shown us the ability to consistently stay healthy and have a, you know, heavy workload. He's already missed time in OTAs. That's just yeah. another thing that worries me in the back of my mind. Um, but at the same time, like honestly, Sermon's been, he's had some injuries too in his college career. So I don't know. I I'm taking Sermon just because of upside mostly. Um, I find myself I taking know. Michael Carter in drafts more than Sermon. And I, I don't really know if that's just a fear of, of the, you know, the amount of options on this team or what, right, but right. it scares me. Like it's weird that Sermon is a bit now that Wilson is out is kind of the, the guy that sort of fills his between the tackles power role. So right. maybe that'll be good near the goal line, but I'm also nervous that, you know, Trey Lance will be in there getting some of those touchdowns too, where you, yeah. you kind of could end up with a Buffalo type situation here, which, uh, you know, you don't really want that. Totally. Um, totally. And so, yeah, maybe the receivers are kind of the way to go here. Although I'll say that, you know, I mentioned about Ayuk and Samuel. So Ayuk was the first rounder last year had so per game, one of the most effective rookie seasons ever, mm-hmm. but it seemed kind of a schemed up thing. And, and he and Samuel only overlapped for like, I think three games last year. Yeah. So I think, you know, you see the big numbers on a per game basis for Ayuk. And I think a lot of that came without Samuel, some also without Kittle. Yep. And I'm worried that he isn't the number one guy, but I don't know. Do you have an opinion either way? I think he is the number one guy, but I think the worries are founded yeah. because you're absolutely right. Like they force fed Ayuk last yeah. year because he was like the only guy in that offense for much of that stretch. And I think that you have to take into account, like his target rate was so much higher because yeah. of that situation. So you have to build in some, regression i guess or whatever in his in his target rate and i think that even though i think he is the best i think he's the number one i think he profiles as the alpha um in terms of between him and debo yeah um i think he he will probably have a higher ceiling and a higher upside but i think samuel conversely has a higher floor because he's going to be getting manufactured touches more often like these screens i think he was like more of his percentage of of yards came on screens than any other receiver in the nfl um, I believe I saw that stat somewhere, you know, don't quote me on it, but, um, the idea is basically they're scheming up ways to get him the ball. He's basically a running back who plays receiver and it's, you know, screens, sweeps end arounds, will like uh, slants and things like that. Like that's his game. And so maybe you can depend on that volume more than you can with, with a guy like Ayuk. Um, 
But I mean, again, it's like at the end of the day, Kittle is the number one in this he offense. Is number one. Kittle is the, the go-to guy in the offense. Um, and it's an offense that is probably not going to pass the ball as much as other teams. And it's an offense that's probably going to have a rookie quarterback for a good stretch of the season. And depending on how early you think that Trey Lance is going to start, some people think week one, some people think maybe like week three, four, five, whatever. Um, there's just so many things working against this uh, 49ers passing game this year. I think Trey Lance is going to be great. Um, but generally speaking, like it's very rare for rookie quarterbacks to support wide receiver ones in fantasy. You know what I mean? Especially yeah. when George Kittle is in town. So I'm just not, I'm, I'm kind of out on both, honestly. Like I, I would be I willing, that's, that's yeah. fair. Yeah. I'm kind of like, I would be willing to take Debo. I think he's not as high of a ranking right now. I'd be willing to take Debo as like a flex, but I would not be. I guess relying heavily on these guys um, this year, just because of those scenarios. I love them. I think they're talented, but um, the situation makes me worried. Can I ask you a trivia question? I've been asking a few guys this. Sure. How many touchdowns has George Kittle scored in the last three years? That's 38 total games. Uh, let's see here. Like nine. Oh, okay. Shoot. Everybody's going way high. It's 12. 12. I, thought, I thought you were going to be like, I don't know, well, 25. He's probably uh, scored about 25, but well, they've all been called, called back. back. Yeah. I think there have been four <laughs> in the last two years that have been called back on I, dumb penalties. Yeah. The point um, that I'm underscoring there, though, is that Kittle is actually almost a better real life player than fantasy player. Hard to believe because he's one of yeah. the best tight ends, but he actually isn't a huge red zone target for the team just based on you know the way they use their players. That right. his actual touchdown total, apart from the weird overturn one by penalties, it's not very different from the expect, expected touchdown total over that mm. same period of time. So like, Interesting. that's why we have Darren Waller higher actually has more touchdowns the last two years than mm-hmm. Kittle does. Um, but I, I think Kittle isn't like, even though he may be as good as Gronk was from a real world perspective, he's not Gronk the fantasy player. Just right, right. keep that in mind, everybody. Yeah. I'm with you. I have Waller higher and, um, I do worry a little, <clears throat> a little bit about Kittle. His like, like you mentioned, his, his target. I think he had a lower target rate. Uh, he's blocking more. Yeah. He's in a lower passing volume offense. Uh, and again, like he's going to probably be with a, a rookie quarterback for a big chunk of the year. Who's probably going to run the ball a lot. So there's these are just variables that make me worried. I think he's an elite receiver, a, a elite player. Um, but from fantasy point of view, it's tough. Okay, I think that's going to wrap it up for the Football Outsiders Fantasy Show this Tuesday. Danny, thanks so much for joining. Thank so you. So the Ringer has their big thing coming out this week. Can you give us some details about that? Yeah, so we got a, a our fantasy draft guide, Ringer Fantasy Draft Guide coming out this week. It's going to have the top 200 players. It's going to have uh, little blurbs on all 200 players. Mm-hmm. Um, very cool functionality. If you guys have seen my NFL draft guide, it's kind of the same. It's in basically the same format. Yeah, um, I love it. it. It's it's so easy it's and like really cool. Aesthetically. <laughs> oh, it's incredible. I can't take credit for it. I don't design it, but it, it is really cool. Um, and so, yeah, and it gives you all these options. Like while you're drafting, you can check off players that haven't taken all that stuff. Like a draft tracker um, will have, you know, rankings for PBR, half PBR and standard. So please go check that out. Um, that is going to be at fantasyfootball.theringer.com. Yeah. Uh, so please go check that out. That's a must. Uh, so everybody listen to Danny on the Ringer Fantasy Football Show. Plus, if you want to look at all the Football Outsiders content, you've got footballoutsiders.com. You've got the Football Outsiders Almanac previewing everything for the 2021 season, including our Kubiak projections. And those Kubiak projections are also up on the site. And I'm constantly updating them because I have no life. So check that out as well. Awesome. Uh, Thanks so much for for watching or or listening, depending on how you did it. Um, We'll be back. Uh, We're taking next week off, but then 
every Tuesday, the rest of the season uh, off season, we'll be doing a fantasy episode, catch us on Twitch, catch us on the football outsiders podcast network. And Danny, thanks again so much. We appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you guys. Yep. Thanks so much, everybody.